Hallelujah. You're a good God. We magnify you in this house tonight. Hallelujah. We give you the glory and the honor for this opportunity to be able to talk to you and be able to worship and magnify you. We thank you, Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Amen. So I have a question I will like to pose before we get into the Bible study tonight. What I would like to ask you is, what three questions or what three things would you go back and tell your younger self at the age of 21, 25, 30, 35, what are those three things that you would tell your younger self to help them figure out life? What would that be? Those things could be life, decisions. But I would ask you to take this something seriously. Because if those things were meaningful enough for you to think about and put some thought toward, then they probably have some weight. They probably have some meaning in your life for you to even think, if I could only go back and tell, I'll use my life for an example, if I could go back and talk to the younger version of Douglas Goff, there's some things that he and I would chat about. And I would try to do my very best to help him fix some decisions, make some course corrections, and I would have a hard discussion with myself. But as meaningful as those things are, I want to also ask you, do you still struggle with those things? What has changed? Has anything? Has anything changed from the time period you would like to go back and you would like to change things that you've done in your life? How are you dealing with them today? How is God helping you? How are you allowing God to help you with these situations? As others have stated, life is very much you take the test until you pass. And you may think my life has always been so difficult, but God puts a test in front of us, and we all have to pass. And that's the part of living for God. We must be able to go beyond our past. Now, there's nothing to say that, you know, it, you know we, some people dwell in the past and it holds them back. But God wants to propel us into the future and for him to reach down and touch us and help us. And so tonight, we're going to talk about a couple of key areas that are commonly struggled with in everyone's life. You come into the church, you're going to come in and you're going to struggle in some of these key areas. And so we're going to talk about those. And But first we want to understand how do we solve problems within our life. They're going to happen in probably one of three ways. We get inspiration, that is insight gleaned from others. We may also have observations made by others of past mistakes. That's the benefit of having a family 
I have five children. My fifth one is not here. She's old, moved, older and moved out. But we can learn from our mistakes. I, had an, I have an older brother, and I learned and looked at him as a young man that was four years roughly younger than my brother, and I learned from his mistakes. And so that's one method. The other method is you are limited, limiting your forward progression because you feel that all you ever do is fail and you're afraid to reach out for help and you sit there in silence. And more importantly, it's the silence that you create because you will not seek help. And so tonight, we want to talk about growing beyond the basics. Growing beyond the basics. I ran across a statement as I was preparing for this message, and I'll tell you, just be totally transparent and upfront, this is not the first time I preached this message. I actually preached it last night in Olathe. This is not my normal style. I don't normally do that, but I felt impressed to preach this message here knowing I was coming. And I believe God gave me the word for both locations, and so be it. Who am I to judge? Who gets to hear what? I'll let God speak and just move out of the way. But in preparation, I ran across a statement, and it was, wasn't one I was pursuing. It actually appeared in my email. I would finish preparing my notes, Brother Mendez, and put all everything together, and I was late uh, Monday night, and I just wanted to check my email, make sure everything was good before I went to sleep. And there was a quote sitting in my inbox that said this, before you can make real progress, you must first confront what is holding you back. Before you can make real progress, you have to confront what first what is holding you back. And so for you to understand what is not working in your life, you have to be willing to do some troubleshooting. You have to be willing to apply yourself and try to change your situation. So the outcome is growth, not being stagnant. Now, I have a very limited electrical background, and I understand circuits. I understand there's light switches on a wall that no doubt control a portion of the lights. But if something doesn't have power, you go back to the source of power Typically, you would say, why are the lights not on? And we would instinctively go to the light switch and toggle it. Maybe something's wrong with the light switch. If that's not working, then we then in turn will go to the panel and try to understand it a breaker trip. All of this is an effort to understand why something is not working. Now, that is the physical side of things. But that also applies to the spiritual. If you don't feel God, go back to the power source. Find out why. If you don't feel him when you read his word, you need to go back to the power source. You need to troubleshoot this because it will not fix itself. You have to put effort into it. You have to go and find out, God, what is missing in my life? If you don't feel him when you come to the house of God and everybody else is worshiping and feeling the presence of God, and it is dry, bone dry, and you feel absolutely nothing, you need to go back to the power. You need to find out. I'm being very direct and very straight because this is soul-saving statements. 
Because if you don't figure this out, on the day of judgment, it's not going to magically fix itself. God said, choose you this day whom ye will serve. That is upon us. I own the decision for myself. I can use the words of David. It says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is the example that I put before my children. We are going to serve the Lord. And so tonight, we're going to talk about a couple of areas that others may struggle with. Maybe it doesn't apply to you. Maybe this doesn't even reach to you and you, everything is just perfectly okay. But I promise you, not everybody has afforded that same luxury. We're going to talk about two things. Your relationship with God and your relationship with your brothers and sisters. Two common areas. Here's the thing. If you don't have a good relationship with God then your relationship with your brothers and sisters is on a skewed foundation because upon God, all things are built and founded. If you can't love like him, if you can't love him, if you cannot accept him, not in the sense of accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, which is unbiblical, but in the fact that you're willing to let God work in your life and the minister, the preacher, the pastor to preach to your heart and minister to you with love and compassion, if you're not willing to accept God's word, then how is it that you can say, well, I've got the brother and sister part down? No, because God has requirements for each and every one of us of how we should love him. It is with our whole heart. If we have any reservation with God, then we will have reservation with everything else in life. If we want to limit ourselves and say, I am sold out to God, but his people are a little crazy. And I would agree with you. No one's going to say apostolic people don't have a something a little bit that's just off. It's just the way we are. But we're normal. Because we love God. That's why the world can't wrap their mind around. Why is it that you want to go to church as often as you do? There's something wrong with you. You're right. But it's not wrong. It's right. I love God. I love the house of God. I love the word of God. I be, love being around God's wonderful, beautiful people. And they'll judge you based upon how you look, how you act, and what you say or what you don't say. And they will judge you and say there's something wrong with you. But you have to understand, I am going to have a right relationship with God and with my brother and sister. Being a part of a church family. So, let's jump into the Bible study. All of that said, let's jump into it. So, looking at an example. If you've ever had a surgery and gone under the knife in a hospital, and I've had an appendix taken out, a gallbladder taken out, a couple of tumors taken out, none of which did I enjoy. When I'm planning my family vacation, none of which like, you know what, I, I think I want to go to the hospital this week. Let's pencil this out for the weekend, for the week, for the family. This is going to be a great time. No one ever does that. What we did is when I had my appendix, I flew in. I, it, I was traveling when it, went, when it started messing up on me and woke up. I was in Shreveport, Louisiana, and woke up and was like, something's wrong. Immediately jumped on a flight, came back home, landed, and Sister Golf rushed me to KU. 
and had a surgery. Unplanned. It wasn't something I was looking forward to. But those life events happen. But let's just say you're going in for a surgery, and you're on the gurney, and they pull you in in your bed, and they push you into the surgery room, and there's a doctor all scrubbed up, got all of his stuff, and he's pulling out his utensils out of a first aid kit. You would like, I don't think he's prepared. I don't, I, can I back out of this? Is there, do I have to go through with this surgery? Because I don't feel like he's going to have everything he needs. Because when I went in for a procedure and they showed me all the, the utensils that are laid out there, all clean and sterile and laid out, none of which look like the bag of first aid kit that I carry around for my family when we go camping and go out west and do our thing. I didn't see a doctor pull anything like this out and say, Mr. Goff, we got your back. We're going to take care of you. And he didn't grab this little bag and unzip it and like, oh, we got some butterfly bandages in here. And I don't know if I have enough gauze. You mind if I use my sock if I run out? We didn't have those conversations. We didn't go through and discuss the content. And he didn't reach out and say, well, let's see. I see we have some Band-Aids. We even have something to pull out a tick. We have some tweezers, we have some galls, we have all kinds of things. And he's, oh, well, here's a manual for me. Let's give me a second while I brief myself on this surgery for a spine injury management. Can you give me one second? And I would be getting off that gurney and saying, you've lost your mind. I'm not going to do it. Because first aid kits have their place, Right? And if he was to do this, I would understand that nothing about this says preventative care. This is telling me things have gone wrong, and I need to fix it with tools that are just to get me by. It is the use of techniques to preserve or save lives. It's reactive care to an unplanned event. Now, I understand a Band-Aid. Who doesn't carry around Band-Aids or what home doesn't have band-aids of some sort, some sort laying around. And you have something and you rush and you grab a band-aid because something happened and you put it on there. That's one thing. But when things start to escalate beyond being able to be contained by just a small piece of cloth over with an adhesive, then you realize things have escalated. I can't do this myself. Honey, where's the nearest urgent care or if it's super late, a weekend, we probably need to run to ER because this is out of my capability. And so we look at ourselves spiritually the same way. Sometimes we settle with having these types of things spiritually around us. Bible tells us to put on the whole armor of God. It tells us to be able to withstand the fiery darts of this world in the attacks that will come upon us. The Bible is not a first aid kit. It is something that will secure your salvation. Now, I may ask this question. How many has ever been taught first aid? 
Anyone ever, anybody first aid certified? Never been taught CPR? Know how to use an AED? You know, most of the time, you don't have that happen just one time. They're like, hey, your certification's expired. You need to go get trained again. And if it's required by your employer, you're going to be certified maybe every one to two years. And at the beginning of every one of our meetings that we have in the office, we always write down on a board, who is first aid certified? Who knows where the AED is at? If Jim Bob falls over, you're calling 911. And you're going to go grab the AED. You've been trained on it. This person's responsible for CPR. And if you have a problem, I want you to write your problem. If you have a medical condition that could flare up at any time, I want you to write it on a piece of paper, put it in your right-hand pocket. So if you pass out, that's the first place we're going to go. And we're going to make sure that we understand exactly what's going on with you. But until it happens, it's your problem. We don't need to know. All of those things happen in every meeting that we have in the office when we have people outside the company that we don't work with come in. We take precautions. We tell them where they're supposed to go if there's a fire, if there's a fire or a tornado, what floor they go to, where they go to, who to look for. All of those things are precautions if things have went absolutely south. But we don't go to a first aid class and they do not provide someone that's bleeding out in front of you. It's all in preparation for the what if. You don't sit there in your class and they welcome a room and say, hey, welcome. Your binders are laying there in front of you. You have your notepad. This is the curriculum we're going to go through. And by the way, we've got Joe over here having a stroke. But we're going to get to lesson five on strokes here in just a moment. So, Joe, hang tight. That doesn't happen. It's all in preparation. It's all to prepare you for when things go absolutely sideways and you don't understand what's going on. And then your training kicks in and you begin to take life-saving measures because all of a sudden something clicks. And you're like, I need to do this. Several years ago, I was in Florida for a meeting, unfamiliar town, never been there before in my life, at the hotel, go out to dinner with a gentleman, and I'd seen him before, and he came in, and he was um, a jogger, and he was out jogging down the road before dinner. And he came in, and he had blood all over him, and he was just, you could tell he was emotionally a wreck. I'm like, I'm not sure what happened, but I'm sure if he wants to tell me, he will. Sure enough, he then begins to tell me that he was running down the road, and he looked, and a dump truck was driving down the road, and it ran over a little girl, and she was dead. He said, you know what? I work for the railroad. I'm first aid certified. I know all of this. So he runs over, and everybody's gathering around. Dump truck's still there, and he begins to do CPR, and the girl comes back to life. And he goes, I didn't care that she was vomiting on me. I didn't care about the blood. He goes, if you looked at me, he goes, I was a mess. He goes, but to feel that pulse come back and everybody sigh relief as the emergency personnel came up, he goes, it was worth it. We get trained to do things spiritually, but it's when things go sideways, you better have everything together. You better be prepared. But this cannot be 
your only mechanism of just saying, well, I go to Bible study, and that's all you do? All you have is a first aid kit. You've got to have more. You have to go deeper. You have to go beyond the basics. And so after all of this training, you now have preparedness in mind. And you find gaps in your situation, and you begin to address them. If you're aware, and I pray that you are, you go to a strange town. I pray that you're looking like, where's the nearest hospital? Where's the police station? Where do I need to go if there's a time of a tornado? Where do I need to go to find help? And those things begin to go through your mind, and I'll relay a very simple story to you. Sister Golf and I, back when Kaiser was five weeks old, so it's been back in 2006, that our house, we had a house fire, and we had everything that we were supposed to have. We had foster children in our home, and so we had met all the safety requirements. We had handrails, plug covers, fire extinguishers, smoke alarms, everything required by the state of Kansas for us to be foster parents. And there was a time when I was out, went camping with my brother. It was five weeks after Kaiser was born. And we talked about it. It was like, hey, we're just going to be 30 minutes away. Let's just go. I'll spend the, the evening with my brother. And we had my mother-in-law there staying with us. And I get a phone call. Actually, my brother did. He was up on top of the hill and he gets a phone call coming in, and it was my wife saying, the house is on fire. So I jump in the vehicle and go home, and I pull up to the blocks long, full of fire trucks. I don't know how many departments responded. Two departments responded and um, filled our street. And I'm pulling up, and fire and smoke and fire trucks, and my family's sitting there in the vehicle, and that was the image that I pulled up to. But all of the things that we had in our house didn't stop that from happening because, you see, we had a fire extinguisher, but it was too small. We had it within our possession, but we weren't trained. So Sister Golf went in the room trying to put it out and exhausted that little bitty fire extinguisher trying to put out a blazing fire instead of having one adequate to meet the needs, didn't have the training and was there five months post-pregnancy, birth of, of Kaiser, throwing water from bowls from the kitchen, trying to put out a blazing fire. And we do the same thing spiritually. We think we're equipped. We get a warm and fuzzy because we carry around some things that we feel like give us a sense of security. But yet, it's under-qualifying because we're just satisfied with only going so far. But God wants to take this church, and if I could make it very personal, he wants to take you deeper than you've ever been. He wants to take you beyond the basics. We must be prepared to work in the kingdom of God. We must be equipped to work in the kingdom of God. But there's something that happens that is a disservice to Christianity. There's a term called de-skilled. It's a word you can look up the definition. I'll read it to you from a personal level. De-skilled means to become on a person's side, to become less multifaceted or proficient in a skill, 
as by redefining a job or being out of the workforce. The occupation or the industry side of this definition says to require less skill as from the introduction of technology or from the redefinition of responsibilities. So you may say, Brother Goff, what does this mean? Well, here's what happens. We had a time where religions, priests, preachers, pastors got behind a pulpit and said, you don't need to understand the Word of God for yourself. That's reserved for the ministry. It's de-skilling the congregation. When daily devotions are promoted more than reading the Bible for yourself, and they say, why don't you go listen to Mr. Swindoll? Focus on the family. Let them talk about a verse, and then talk about that verse for 15 minutes, and that's your devotion it's de-skilling the saints of God because we are to put ourselves in the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to us, not let somebody else that does not have truth appease us by saying, well, I heard them talk about a scripture or even a portion of the scripture, or if you could talk about some of these people that you hear about mainstream media that have their big mega churches out there, they may not even quote a scripture, but they'll quote a principle from scripture and preach about it without ever reading a verse of Scripture. It's de-skilling the saints of God. One other area is where they teach once saved, always saved as a doctrine, as a means of salvation. And you know what it is? It's de-skilling the saints of God. They have no moral obligation then to do what is right with God. And all they want you to do is continue to send them money and be content carrying around a first aid kit of salvation, once saved, always saved. And live how you want. Conduct yourself however you want, never trying to appease God. You're just trying to appease the teaching of a man that just wants to have a count of a congregation. Does it really want you to have what's best for you? And he's just saying, oh, just keep coming. And you may have something like, I reference this book all the time just because when I grew up in church, people are always talking about it. Chicken soup for the soul. You can have that thing sitting on your dash, bleaching itself into oblivion, the color evaporating off of it, being bleached by the sun, it will not save you. But you may feel secure because you put a Bible or you put some inspirational book on your dash, and you're making a statement to people that walk by you, but are you making a statement unto God? We have to grow. We have to grow beyond the basics. We have to go beyond where the status quo currently resides. But you can't just walk into the church and identify as a Christian. Unlike things that are trying to happen so much in the mainstream You can become what God has called you to be versus what other people are trying to make and to create on their own. The Bible says, whosoever will, let them come. And out, it talks about it, out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And he will give us the joy in our Holy Ghost and in our spirit. And he will allow us to feel his presence. But there is criteria for you to be in the kingdom of God. Now, 
my house key, the house key that I carry every day, I can walk up to it and I can put it in our church front door and it goes in the lock, but it will not open the door. My house, my church key, I can use it and walk up to my house and put it in the lock, but it will not open the door. You see, it requires some knowledge about what is the inner workings, what will open the door. The requirements to open the door to the church is that I have a key that is cut to exact position for every tumbler, every switch within that mechanism, so that when I turn it right or left, it will actuate that lock. You can actually put a blank key that has never been fit for that lock and slide it in that same mechanism. And you could walk around saying, I have a key to the church, but yet it's not cut. It's a blank. Until you let yourself be modified by the word of God, you will never be able to open and go into the things that God has for you. Until you allow yourself to be put on the potter's wheel and let him mold you and make you, and then God opens the doors and the light of revelation shines as the word is being read through in your devotions and your daily reading of the word of God, and you apply yourself in Bible study, and not just attending a Bible study like tonight, but teaching Bible study. God will give you revelation. I can't tell you how many times that I've sat down and taught a Bible study that I thought I knew all of the content, but I sit there and all of a sudden God will flip a switch. You're like, I've never seen it that way before, but that is amazing. And the joy of the Holy Ghost feels that moment as people begin to understand that revelation truly does come. You have to have a hunger and a desire for the Word of God, and God will reach down and touch your situation. But you cannot access what has been promised to you if you're not willing to be changed. You have to be willing to let the master craftsman pick you up and put you in that jig and clamp you in that vice and begin to hone you. And next thing you know, God will reach down and say, I got something just for you. You could walk around all the time and have the first aid kit and say, yeah, I go to that church, but God has something very special for you. He wants you to do something special in this church. He has a plan for this church. He does not put a man of God and have him devote his life as a pastor and their family and live here and put a burden upon his heart and allow good, faithful uh, families to come in and be a part of this church just so it can be a social thing. He's got a plan for this church. And it exceeds every one of your expectations beyond what you can even imagine. God has a plan for this community. And I'll tell you what it is. It's to see the saving of the lost souls. It's that this parking lot is filled not in number but in hungry hearts, in testimonies, in people that can stand and say, and such was I. I was a whoremonger. I was in adultery. I was in sin. But I came to the house of God. 
I took responsibility. I knelt at an old-fashioned altar, and God changed my life. It was because I was willing to be touched by the hand of the Master. The devil just wants to put fetters upon your wrist and upon your and shackles on your feet and chain you down and put you in what do they call it? The, the Gray Bar Hotel, state-sponsored Gray Bar Hotel, and lock you up. That's all he wants. But he that has been set free is free indeed. You have to be willing to be modified by God. Now, I've been around church. I'm 43 years old. I grew up in church. Don't hold it against me. I promise you I have my many flaws and my many failures. And my times that, like you, look back and say, I wish I would have done that differently. I have those very same thoughts. But God has given us all the grace to do His will. For us to rise to the occasion. Because He gave us instructions in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Many of you can quote this passage of Scripture. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. You can look at each and every one of these requirements. You know what he doesn't want? Unholy. He doesn't want you to be what you think you need to be. He wants you to become what he has planned for you, acceptable unto God. It's not something that is so far above and not possible for you because here's what it says, which is your reasonable service. And be not, in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. You know what that means? Be conformed to him. But it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has expectations for his children. You see, Romans written to the church. This is verses of scriptures to keep us saved. He gives us a commandment to, starting in the Old Testament, to read the Bible, to let the word of God go deep within your heart. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. And we read this next passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. We like to throw that out there and say, yeah, pastor, that's the Bible. He's talking to you. Yeah, preacher, that's for you. But it says this, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We all we all have a responsibility to get into the Word of God. Dig deep. Go beyond the basics. We are also told to pray. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 18, the apostle gives us very direct words, statements saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. 
He also tells us that we ought to fast. That's not just something reserved for on the rare moments. But if you look in Acts chapter 13, I won't read any verses of Scripture from it, but you can go and study this for yourself. In Acts chapter 13, the church got together. An apostle was going to be sent out, and they were trying to find the timing and the mind and the will of God. And guess what? The Bible says in Acts chapter 13 that they gathered together and they fasted and prayed, and God honored that. And the Word of God says the Holy Ghost spoke and said, go. Now, this could have easily fallen strictly upon the shoulders of the preacher. The Bible tells us clearly that it wasn't just the apostles standing there saying, God, what do you want me to do? But the Holy Ghost spoke to them and said, go. You can also look in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. won't read it, but it talks about the apostle Paul, where he went house to house teaching everyone he could about salvation having an experience with God. We all have this responsibility. You see, it cannot fall just upon one or two people. But revival, seeds get planted as people go out and sow the seeds in this city. And I hear amazing reports that come from this church. I hear Pastor Hilton get up and he'll say, we had X amount of people here and the house was full and We had this special service, and all of these families were here, and people I never met before walking down and praying in the altar, and that is beautiful. Keep it up. Don't stop. Let those seeds keep getting planted. Reach for hearts that you think, well, I don't even know if they're even interested in God. Let them be the judge of what you have to offer. Let God reach down and touch their lives so they can step into an apostolic service and be changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And then you can step back and say, look what the Lord has done. But you don't want them to stay where they're at. You want them to grow and to go beyond. And they turn around and become soul winners. They become established in the kingdom. And the problem is that the the, the denominal world wants you just to become stagnant in the way you are, stay the way you are. We accept you the way you are. You don't need to change, and nothing will ever happen in that church. It'll just be dead, dry church. There's no motivation, no feeling of the Holy Ghost. It's just we have people here. But God wants us to reach into a world that is lost and dying without him. He wants us to find those that are hurting. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 14 and 15, It gives us clear instruction, talking to the church at Ephesus. In verse 14, it says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head of even Christ. You see, God does not want the church to go with the ebb and flows of this world. We are put on a rock. That rock is Christ Jesus, the revelation of who he is and the understanding of his power and his might, the promises and revelation of his will within our hearts and lives. God does not want us to be wondering our entire life, God, what do you have me to do? But he has given each and every one of us, I want you to be able to speak 
the truth. I want you to be able to teach the truth. I want you to love this precious truth and grow in all things. Now, those things are not the things of the world, but they are the things of the kingdom of God. You see, when you give God your heart, you give him your responses. Because in Matthew, it talks about Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, he says, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? And we hear people quote this very passage of Scripture. Oh, you meant to say that because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And they can quote this passage of Scripture. But, you know, it's just like everybody says, Oh, judge not lest ye be judged. It's one of those famous passages of Scripture. But yet they don't want their heart, the contents of their heart, examined. They don't want their heart to be under the microscope of the Word of God. When God has your heart, He gives you the words to speak. He has your response. This is not limiting to the physical act of speaking. But God has something so much more for us. But it is what we do. What's the Bible say? Be ye doers of the word. Not hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Don't be hearers only. We need to be doers. And when you begin to do things in the word, you know what that is? Maturity. You're starting to mature in the kingdom. Have you ever had a situation to where you may have been faced with in the past and maybe you weren't happy with how it turned out But then as you begin to mature in the kingdom of God and you handle yourself differently and the situation comes up and you step back and you are surprised. I did this differently when I used to. I used to overreact. I used to react. I used to say this. This was my go-to response when they would do this. And you step back and say, I am growing. I am changing. But it's for the good. It's because God has your heart. Paul spoke not of limiting your actions when your brother is needing to be restored in the faith. In Galatians chapter 6, it talks about when a brother stumbles and falls. We don't take glory in that. In chapter 6, verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men especially under them who are of the household of faith. You know what this says, brothers and sisters? Work to restore someone who has fallen by the wayside. I tell you what, here's the guidance I will give you. And if your pastor feels otherwise, he can correct it. But I promise you, I'm not going to say anything inflammatory. But if God and your pastor is willing to give effort and give them grace and give them opportunity for restoration, so should we. If he's willing to go there and pray in the altar, and when they come in and they have tears streaming down their face, doesn't matter how bad they treated you or the things they did, we have the very same obligation to come to the house of God and have grace and mercy and forgiveness pouring out on us as it would for anyone else that walks into this house and kneels at this altar. Restoration of souls is what the church is in the business of taking them out of a life of sin, but also bringing those that have walked away from this house or maybe even a church 
in Mississippi or Louisiana or New York, no matter where it is, and they somehow find their way to this house of God. And next thing you know, they walk in and they say, well, back in 1994, I used to go to a church and things happened and I left. We shouldn't look down our nose. We say, welcome home. This is a welcome home party for you. This is where you need to be. It's the house of God. Because this is where truth is proclaimed in the house of God. In verse 7 of this very same chapter of Galatians chapter 6, it says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know what this is? It's directly associated with a brother that will not help their brother be restored. If you won't help him... This is exactly what you will reap. If you can't reach down and help pull somebody up and be the strength of the church and be the voice of reason in their life, God says, help them be restored. Pull them back. I've made a commitment in my life, and I've been guilty of this. I have prayed, prayed this prayer. I, and I, you know, Judge me however you want to. I'm being transparent. But I have had people that have done me wrong in the world, and I've prayed, God, make them miserable. People that's left the church, and you're like, God, make them miserable out there in the world. But then I heard someone say it this way. If all they ever know from the church is misery, why would they come back? And it changed me. And I said, God, make them hungry. Make them hungry for the house of bread. Make them long for that sweet-smelling savor of the Holy Ghost that fills this very house. Make them hunger for the Word of God. Make them hunger for the worship. Make them hunger for salty tears to pour down their face. Not the pain and anguish that I was trying to pray on them. You know what that does? Every time I could see them, I could say, oh, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you, all right, but I'm praying for you that your life's miserable, that you'll want to come back to the house of God. No, I changed my mind. I said, you know what? How would I want them to pray for me if, God forbid, anything ever happened? How would I want them to pray for me? I would want them to say, Douglas, come back to the Father's house. There are tables spread and there is a meal that's so deep and wide. There is just steaming hot riches in the kingdom of God. And things you can feast on. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. That's what the kingdom's about. But you cannot suppress your character. Because trying to do so, you will only deceive yourself. I'll ask this question. I'm trying to wind down. I know I've been going for a little while. But I'll ask you if you know a gentleman by the name of John Chapman. Anybody remember that name? What if you changed his last name and put him in a folk story and you called him Johnny Appleseed? John Chapman was a real person. John Chapman went all over in Pennsylvania, Ohio, he was known for going and planting apple seeds 
and growing orchards. And I remember as a young child in elementary school talking about Johnny Appleseed and being told the folk stories. I didn't really understand until I began to look into Johnny Appleseed and understand that the apples that he planted were not apples you ate. I'm like, okay, because that's not the stories I was told about Johnny Appleseed because it always show him in some little cartoon figure and people eating apples out of the trees that he planted. But the thing is, John was John Chapman was an individual who went and planted apple trees at the seeds of an apple, and he went there and did it so that he could turn those apples into some form of an alcoholic beverage. Or, I should say, and, it was so that he could amass a large quantity of land. By the time of his death, John Chapman died with over a 1,000 acres of apple orchards. And really, his position was, I will establish an orchard, so it's more or less like establishing him a farm, his property. Now, that's an interesting take on Johnny Appleseed. But we call the folk story of John Chapman Johnny Appleseed because why? He planted apple trees. What if he was to plant something else? What if it was oranges? What if it was vineyards? What do you plant? What are you known for? What seed are you planting? Does it benefit you or does it benefit the kingdom of God? When they say, Douglas Goff, what fruit comes to mind? When they say your name in the community, what fruit comes to mind? What are you known for? How do people describe you? Now, I understand we all have a past. I grew up in a very small town of Bonner Springs, Kansas. You could walk everywhere. It wasn't as small as some of the towns down here. They're a little bit bigger and spread out a little bit. But everybody seemed to know everybody. Drive down the road, everybody's giving the courtesy way. Oh, there's John, there's Sue, went to school with them. Always running to people at Walmart, grocery store. And you get a reputation. But with God, you can change the fruit that you bear. You see, I remember seeing my grandfather when I was a young child. I watched him walk up to a fruit tree, and he said, Sonny, Come here, and I'm going to show you something. And he went over to another fruit tree and cut off a limb, and he grafted it into another tree. And he says, guess what? This tree here has a disease, and it's dying. But I'm going to put it over here. I'm going to wrap it. I'm going to secure it. And now it's going to tap into the fruit of this tree. And it's going to produce from those limbs what it's made to produce. But now it has a healthy root system. Now it has something that will sustain it. The disease that was a part of that tree wasn't on this branch, and I'm saving the fruit of this other tree. God did the very same thing for you. He has wrapped you in his arms of love. He has washed you in the blood of the saving blood of Jesus Christ. He has grafted you in to be a son or a daughter into the kingdom of God. He has tapped you into the riches and the fullness of 
of his mercy and his grace and the strength that only he can give. And God has done that just for you. And lovingly, he took you out of the world and he grafted you in. He is the vine and we are the branches. He is the husbandman. That means he is the one who dresses the vine. He is the one who cares for the fruit. He's the one who prunes us back. What fruit are you known by? God wants to do something in each and every one of our lives. I, there's so much more I could go in and say. I could talk about Samson. I could go into Proverbs, talking about a friend and all of this, I've only talked about your relationship with God, and I don't want to belabor the point, and I'm going to try to bring this to a close. But there's another part to this lesson about being to your brother and sister so much more. We've often read the verse of Scripture in Proverbs where it talks about a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Profound passage of Scripture in Proverbs 17, 17. One translator wrote it this way, and I'll, I'll say this in closing. One translator wrote it this way. He said, a brother is born through adversity. When you go through things together, there's a deep bond. There's something that fuses within your heart to their heart. And as I... Look over your lives and see those that are here tonight. And when I go to my home church that God has blessed me to be a part of, and I stand behind a pulpit or a podium and I stand and I look, and in my mind there are things that I went through with some of my brothers and sisters. I remember a time when Bishop was out of town, and he said, I want you to help this situation. And Sister Goff and I went to the hospital, and it was through us, nothing great we did. I'm just a normal, I'm a knucklehead, nothing special. But I love people. And somebody was in the hospital, and they said, yeah, you can come up and sit with us. And we sat there with the family, and they're like, you know what, you guys can go home. We said, no, we're not, we're not going home. This is, they're giving you news of life and death. And I'm not here to just say, do my ministerial duty. We're in it for the long haul. And I remember vividly, vividly them getting the news. Sister Goff and I went down to grab us a bite to eat. It was early in one of the mornings. Went down to grab us a bite to eat from the cafeteria. While we were gone, we come back and the waiting room was empty. And next thing you know, someone comes busting out the door saying, are you the preacher? Yes, I am. The family was just rushed back, and they just got really bad news. We go in there, and they say, this is it. They've got to pull him off the machine. I had never done anything like that with anyone outside of my church. Church, my family, yes, been there, tragedy. But to stand around a hospital bed and watch the last heaving breaths as you're just trying to pray a prayer out loud with doctors and nurses, and they say, would you say one more prayer before they go from this side to the next? And you're like, I am so inadequate. I have nothing of value to say. 
And I just bowed my head and prayed through tears. And I remember saying these very words, God, we thank you for the gift you have given us. And we give him back to you. And the last breath was exhaled. And the family, and Sister Goff and I, it just fused us together. You have to be willing to plant some seeds for fruit to grow in your life. And the next thing you know, it'll grow in the lives of others. I don't talk about that, but it's not. That was a very private, intimate thing that happened. And I don't take it lightly. I think that's the only time I've ever even mentioned it publicly. But it changed me because the fruit that they planted also touched my life. Because a brother was born through adversity. Through adversity. Amen. Can we stand this evening and just take a moment? And can we talk to him? I ask you to examine yourself. I know this has been a very casual, low-key, I'm not yelling, screaming, but in my effort and what God has laid on my heart, I hope, I pray, that I've spoken to your heart, the nucleus of your soul, and I ask us if we could take a moment and I want to examine my heart. If you want to find a place to pray, I want us to just take a moment and let's talk to God and let's ask him to reach down and look in our hearts, give you wisdom to search. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Master, for your word. God, only you know the hearts of each and every one of us. And God, you know the outcome that we desire in life. And God, I want my desires to align with you. And God, I ask you to search my heart. Search the heart of each and every one of us tonight. God, I understand that things change in our lives, but God, you have called some folks you have brought together a beautiful people into this house tonight. You are building something great in this community, God. You have desired that we grow and move and touch other hearts and allow others to be changed and we all become instruments in your hands. And God, I ask you to reach down and minister to our hearts this evening. Let this word be planted within our hearts, God, that we yield fruit that is of you and not of our own self. Because, God, if it was left up to me, if my flesh was to flourish, it'd be rotten, it'd be filthy, it'd be stinking, it'd be carcasses of this world. But, God, you gave me beauty for ashes. You gave me the oil, God, the cascade over my mind and purify my heart. And you've given me wisdom, God, when I've stood up and made a fool of myself. And, God, you're reaching into this community. And, God, these people, these precious people, God, they're here to serve you. They're here to make a difference in this community. God, I ask you to reach down and make a difference, God. Use them, God. Minister as only you can. God, I thank you for this opportunity. You are holy and righteous, God, and we can only do this by you. We give you the glory and the honor, Master. All praise and glory is unto you. God, reach down and touch us. Change us, God. Allow us to be in your image in this very moment, God. We thank you for it, Savior. To be like Jesus on earth, I long to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, I long to be like him. 
Hallelujah. I worship you, Savior. Hallelujah. 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 I thank you, Master. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mighty God, I worship you. I worship you, Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Hallelujah. There is nothing you could have prayed tonight that would have tapped out the resources or put God at his limitation. God has a plan for you, and he wants you to grow beyond the basics and step up and say, God, you're my number one priority. All I want is you, Master. All that matters is the kingdom. God, I want to be in your perfect will in my life. God, aligning with you, Master. I am not my own. But I have been bought with a price. The price was that precious blood that you spilled upon Calvary. Oh, that precious lamb that was slain from the very foundation of the world. I thank you, Savior. Oh, hallelujah. I thank you, Savior. What a wonderful God you are. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I thank you, Savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah, my, my, my. Before I dismiss you, if I could just leave you and just recap a few points. Don't be satisfied with just having some security of a salvation, say a first aid kit. You've got to have more. You've got to go deeper. Those, if you're using a first aid kit, that means you are far beyond just Hey, Mr. Goff, why don't you do this and do that? There's nothing, pro, there's nothing preventative. It's already happened. But let the Word of God reach down into your heart and change you and mold you daily in His Word, and you'll be a reflection of His glory and not of your former self as you look there in the mirror and say, look at what I used to be. I long for those days. I was strong. I was beautiful. I was wise. I had just the right word. No. God, make me in your image, I want to be just like you. But you have to be modified just like a key. And God, reach into your life and make something special of you. Don't just try to identify as a Christian. Be one. Let your fruit be powerful in this community. He's called you out for a reason, not to condemn you, but to use you. Be willing to be placed on the potter's wheel. Hallelujah. One last time. Can we lift our voices in a word of dismissal? We'll take offering after this. But I just want to close us out with a word of prayer. Can we pray one last time? God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for talking to Douglas Goff, using the word you placed in front of me. God, let it flow from my heart. That is not my words, God. I take no glory in it. But God... I love the beauty of your presence. I love seeing the revelation upon the faces of your children. God, stir our hearts. Draw us closer. Keep your hand of protection upon Pastor Hilton of this church. Draw us closer, God. Minister in this community. Let the word grow, mature in each and every one of us. We thank you, God. We ask you to bless this time. Bless this offering, God. Bring us back together again to worship you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Brother Mendez, can you help with an offering if you don't mind?
don't want to forget that opportunity, give you an opportunity to be blessed of God. Amen. Thank you all for being faithful to the house of God on this Wednesday evening. Amen. Pray God blesses your time of giving. Hallelujah. God bless you after you've been able to give. Dismissed in Jesus' name.